The year was 2012. The place, Kansas, USA. The man, me. All right, I think you guys are paying attention. So like in 2012, I was a worship pastor in Kansas and my wife Vanessa and I had felt a prompting by God to, to take a step out in faith and step down from my position there. Well, we didn't have a clear calling as to where, so we told God we wanted to go to Colorado unless he said otherwise. So my family graciously here in Cheyenne took us in while I networked to see what was available. I met some great people, had some great conversations, had some awkward moments like this one time. I met this uh, really nice guy, had me come down to the Fort Collins area and meet him. So he's praying for me before I leave. So he's got his hand on my shoulder. He's praying like this. I get in my ultra reverent pose, you know, with your hands down, your, your head bowed and your eyes closed. All the dudes in the room know what I mean. And so I am, that was a joke. Um, so I, <laughs> so he's praying for me. He's like, God, we pray for Jared. We pray for, uh, for his future, for his wife. And he looks up and he said, what's your wife's name? And I, I hadn't told it to him. So unbeknownst to me, I had a piece of skin that was connecting both of my lips. So I go to say Vanessa, and instead I said, Vanessa. So he looks at me, he's like, God, I pray for Vanessa. And then, uh, like, I can't interrupt him. Anyway, so it was a little bit of a bumpy ride. Uh, we weren't having a lot of uh, luck in the Colorado area. My wife even works in the medical field. So we were getting frustrated, and um, like, I ended up actually being out of a job for a year total. I mean, I was embarrassed. I was angry at God for equipping me, but what felt like withholding my abilities when I felt like I was ready, I felt like I'd failed as a husband and as a provider. Well, we realized that we had, we had prayed and told God we, our plans and, and said, unless you say otherwise, but we actually never stopped to ask what the otherwise might be. Well, so we started praying about, well, like, what's it look like to stay in Cheyenne, even though that was never our plan to begin with. And lo and behold, some doors start opening up for my wife and she lands a job that she loves. I, however, did not have as much success initially. Uh, many of you actually don't know this. I actually applied and interviewed for the worship pastor position here at Element when Pastor Adam left. Um, I interviewed, but uh, no, I, I was not chosen. Uh, so I, I, but I continue to volunteer here because I love the church. But if I'm honest, um, the, you know, they hired due to financial limitations, they hired someone else who was already on staff at the time. But honestly, it, I was a little upset. Um, but, you know, I kept serving because uh, I love the church. But it was another roadblock from God, and it hurt. And I couldn't land the jobs that I was qualified for here in town, no matter how many references of people on the inside I had or who vouched for me. And I remember this angry prayer with God one night. I remember saying, I don't get it, God. I'm sitting here on the sidelines. I can't provide for my family. It's causing tension in my marriage. And every avenue I try, you don't let me do anything. And I didn't hear him speak audibly. But I heard him speaking to my spirit, who says this is about you? I was like, feels like it's about me. <laughs> like, I don't know how it couldn't be about me, the story's about me. But what I had realized was I was trying every avenue, trying to provide and still spinning my wheels because I was still making it about me and the glory of me. And I realized that he was saying no in this time because this time wasn't about me. This time was about someone else and I was a part of their story and I better get my crap together because other people are watching how I handle it. And I realized that I've been trying so hard to get this glory and, and everything that I wanted should be what I needed. And it was such a humbling experience. And I remember thinking, man, God has been prepping the hearts of many people in this season, not just my own. I was too focused on me. 
And when I realized that, lo and behold, the, the Element staff, Element's leadership, because the worship pastor at Element decided, I felt a prompting to move back home. So lo and behold, I had proven that I was dedicated and committed while I was still volunteering, and they felt that I was qualified, and Element's leadership said, would you please reconsider the position? I was working so hard to get the glory in my trials that I never actually even gave God the glory for carrying me financially somehow for a year. And he was just prepping the hearts of many people, not just my own, I was too focused on me. And as I sat there in front of Element's leadership, it was like I saw it all come together. Like I saw how God orchestrates everything. I looked them in the eye with such joy and I said, I'll have to think about it. <laughs> I prayed about it for a couple more weeks, but obviously I did say yes, because here I am. But I'm so grateful and thankful for Element and for the, the family you guys have been to us these five and a half years later. And God truly did reveal his glory to us, even if we had to stumble our way through it. Well, if you're new here or you're joining us on a screen somewhere, my name is Jared Bayless. I'm the creative arts pastor here. So glad that you join us. We're continuing on in our series called Glory Unites Us based upon Romans 11:36. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. But the main scripture that we have for today is based upon Romans 14, 13 through 15, 6. We're not going to read all of this. Uh, this I will warn you, this is a, a sermon that is basically geared more towards those of us who call ourselves believers. However, if you're here and you don't consider yourself a believer, man, we're so excited you're here, and there's plenty for you here as well. <clears throat> well, Fred did an awesome job last week um, setting us up, but let's jump in. The big idea for today is God will reveal his glory to us when the love of ourselves stops getting the glory. Which leads us to the main question, why should I care about his glory? Well, the first reason we should care about his glory is this, number one, I will finally, it will finally bring me peace when I can stop thinking about me. Well, let's jump into verse 13 in Romans. Romans 14, 13 says this. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. All right, so there's this great debate about meat. Well, nowadays, we, the only debate we have about meat is how to cook it. You know, steak, glaze, barbecue, tangy, raw, whatever. But there was this argument over uh, meat sacrifice to idols. And there were some people who were like, dang, we should eat all this food. Like, we shouldn't let it go to waste. And then there were other people who were like, no, 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 no. Like, this was used to, to worship false gods. Like, it was intended for evil. We should have no part in it. So they start fighting, and they start overpowering each other, condemning each other. And the Apostle Paul steps in in verse 20 through 23. says this. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Okay, so that gets a little confusing at the end, so let me try to simplify this. We don't struggle with food in America. We always choose food and we wonder why you're not having more of it. So this idol worship with meat and stuff, it's a little harder to compare to. So let me see if I can give us a more modern day example. Some people feel Christians shouldn't drink. Other people have no problem with it. There's nothing wrong with simply drinking. Now I'm not talking about alcohol abuse, but simply consuming alcohol isn't a sin. 
However, there are some people who struggle to watch other believers do so. And for that fact, our staff actually does not drink. And it's not because we consider it a sin. It's because we know that it can cause issues privately for pastors and staff as we have seen it happen in other churches in our country. We also know that if somebody sees us in public with one drink, that's it, and they were looking for a reason to call us pastors or Christians hypocrites, no matter how unfair that statement is, it isn't worth it. It's not worth tearing down the work of the church. And we as a staff are called to lead the way and to hold ourselves to a higher standard, even for things that may not be a big deal or even a sin issue. Don't risk tearing down the work of the church or the work of Paul or the work of gospel, of the gospel for something you consider inconsequential but has great consequences for someone else. The glory of God will unite us when we place the value on souls of others above ourselves. So Paul, uh, excuse me, so Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, if we love each other, we will seek to edify each other, build each other up in the faith. The strong Christian has spiritual knowledge, but if they don't practice love, their knowledge will hurt the weak Christian. Knowledge must be balanced by love. Knowledge plus love helps the weak person grow strong. The strong believer needs to grow in love. The weak believer needs to grow in knowledge. Believers may hold different convictions about many matters, but they must hold them in love. And Paul was this amazing man who did just that. He went to painstaking lengths for inconsequential things that didn't have to matter to him. And he placed, he placed others above himself, even when he didn't have to even for things that, were, that meant a lot to his fellow believers or even potential future believers, like not eating meat sacrificed to idols. And in the book of Acts, Paul would actually go to prison because he went to this ceremony he didn't have to be at, but it meant a lot to his brothers in Christ. And Paul's friends knew there was a chance he was gonna go to prison for this, and they pleaded with him not to go. And Paul's response is, I'm ready to be jailed. I'm ready to die for the sake of Jesus. Now, the work of the church and the unity of it was worth going to prison over, even if he didn't have to. And Paul placed others above himself, even when he didn't have to. Paul practiced love and knowledge. Because Paul had to have had peace. I mean, think about it. To do stuff like that, he had to have had peace. And, and the work of the church is far greater than our preferences, and that internal peace that you and I seek, we will find it if we're willing to place others above ourselves. But let me warn you, there might be a cost to it, like there was for Paul. Are we willing to lay down our lives or give up our freedoms for things that don't matter to us, but matter greatly to my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's challenging. Because the glory of God will be revealed to us when we don't tear down his church, and the glory of God will finally bring me peace when I can finally stop thinking about me. The second reason we should care about God's glory is this. It is the cure for our disease. Romans 15, one through three says this. We who are strong, implying Paul was one of those strong, must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. And Paul's talking about not living to please ourselves, but living to please others, which seems kind of backwards. But Paul was referring to us, 
We who are strong, meaning believers, those who are sold out and following Jesus. We are the strong because of who we are in Jesus and who he allows us to be. And because scripture says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. I am the strong and you are the strong and we are the strong. And the strong must be considerate and live to serve others. Even those who aren't as strong, even weak. But we're selfish people, right? Sinful, selfish people. You guys don't like that voice. All right, that's cool. <laughs> but Paul says, actually, like, don't, don't just do. There's not all bad. Don't just do what you want. However, we all have this disease, and it's called sin. And I'm sorry none of us can get away from it. And when sin and selfishness meet up, it's like one of those political conventions. You know something bad's going to happen, and somebody's going to look stupid, right? You guys didn't like that one either. Cool. <laughs> See what else I got here on my material. Just kidding. Paul's talking about, about selfishness that is poisonous. Selfishness poisons our mind and our thinking. It's cunning. It's deceptive. Oh, we're not looking to please or help anybody else besides ourselves. And have you ever fallen into this trap of maybe thinking or even saying, I'm tired of helping everybody else and getting burned. It's time to start working on me. And we truly believe that we were burned, and maybe we were, but that's not the issue. The problem was... We were helping others, hoping that others were watching us help, uh, helping others, and then maybe secretly they're like, oh, what a good person they are. They're so great. But turns out they never gave us that title. We never got that title that we were hoping for. So we get a little angry, and it turns out it really wasn't about others. They were just the vehicle that drove us to the root of what was really going on. Oh, it was still about us. And the problem that we're mad is because it, we burned ourselves. And I've fallen into this trap, too. I mean, I get so angry at myself because I, I, get, I get in this mentality of, look at all I've done for you, bow at my feet. <laughs> no? Why not? And I'm mad because it was about me. But if we are selfless, God-honoring people who, can't, who love to serve others, we can't help but, but serve people, no matter who's paying attention or not, and no matter if we've been burned or not. And it doesn't mean it doesn't sting, but because we have the strength of Jesus within us, we can't help but live out the greatest commandments, and that was to love God and love others, and we let God take care of us. Because even like Paul said, even Jesus didn't come to be selfish. He came to serve, and he's the king of the universe. But you know the place where selfishness has made a nice little comfy home, and it's setting us back, especially as in the church is in our trials. I wanna to jump to John 5, we're not gonna read all of it. We're gonna read verses two through nine, it says this. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and, uh, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone goes down ahead of me. Side note, it said that this pool had many healing properties, minerals, even supernatural healing for the first ones in the pool. Verse eight. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And we think, wow, what power Jesus has here. And, and you're right. But, um, hmm. but, but 38 years, that's, that's a long time to have never made it to the pool. 
And did you notice this guy actually doesn't actually answer Jesus directly? He deflected. Because you ever notice that we do that sometimes? We don't really want to answer a question directly because it might put some responsibility back on us. So we make sure that we mention everybody else's roles in our struggles first. Sound familiar? Me too. So Jesus asked this very unique question. Do you want to get well? And we think, well, of course, like anybody in this man's position would want to get well. Okay, okay. All right, well, Maybe Jesus was just trying to call attention to this great miracle he's about to do, you know, and he just wanted to make sure everybody was paying attention, like, oh, 38 years, that's a long time. Oh, do you want to get well? If there was just someone here who could maybe help you, boom, pick up your mat and walk. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, did you guys hear that? But, (laughs) but, but I don't think so. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well, but why? Our culture has shifted in many ways. And one of those ways is how much value we have placed on wanting to be related to. We crave relatability. Do you know what I'm going through? Are you even listening? Have you considered what I might be going through? And this is important because we, the, being relatable is the first step in helping people. I mean, we need to be good listeners and we, and we need to sympathize with those around us. But we've kind of just stopped there, haven't we? I mean, we, we want people to simply relate to us, but we don't necessarily move past that. I mean, if only I have to just sit and relate to somebody, um, I don't have to really resolve anything and we can just keep talking about it. But we're called as the strong to not just sit in relatability, We're called eventually because of who we are in Jesus to start moving to victory. And when we sit in relatability for too long, it breeds disease and selfishness will set in and we will start to take the glory in our trials. And some of you might be thinking, how dare you? You don't know what I'm going through. And look, some of you, I know I've been through or are going through things that I can't even imagine in my heart breaks for you. But here's the danger I want to warn you about of our trials. They blind us, no matter the severity. They blind us. And when we sit for too long inside of them, we disconnect from God and we disconnect from his glory. And that's where life resides. And the scariest part is, We disconnect from God when we give ourselves glory because he will not share his glory with anyone. And when we disconnect from God, we disconnect from his people, from his church, the very people he had ready to help us through those trials. And eventually, we blame God for our trials and we blame him for not doing anything about it. And some of you in this room have decided he's not even real anymore. So let's go back to the man at the pool. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? How often am I this man? Why haven't I inched my way closer to that pool? And why haven't I changed that much after all this time? I mean, I found people who who can relate with me and relate to what I'm going through. But oftentimes, I don't want a leader to lead me out of it. I just want a friend that will sit inside of it with me. Sitting by the poolside is just easier. 
But Jesus isn't asking about the condition of his body. He's asking about the condition of his heart. And a question like this means Jesus knows something. I mean, did this man love the attention for now being known as the man who never made it to the pool? Or had this man given up and he sat with his friends in the same spot every day and he'd given up trying for healing? I don't know. But maybe Jesus knew that he had sat in his trials for far too long. And he was now unimpressed with his trials. And even more importantly, he was unimpressed with his heart. Now look, our trials are such jerks. They blind us in so many ways, but let me warn you, if you just sit in relatability hoping for healing, you will be just stuck in neutral, defeated by the poolside. But there's this urgency that has to be had because Jesus has become unimpressed with many of our hearts regardless of our trials. And the reason I know there's an urgency is because let me summarize the rest of the story for you. So what Jesus did was actually illegal. He wasn't supposed to heal on the Sabbath, so he books it out of there. The Jewish officials come in. They can't find him. They come to this once crippled man, and they say, sir, who is man who, who, who healed you? We want to kill him. Look, I know they're Jewish, not Russian. I'm just trying to lighten the mood here. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, like the one scribbled man, like, you know, like he's moving for the first time. So like they can't get any answers out of him until finally he's like, I don't know who the man was, dude, but he gave me this. So then Jesus, uh, so they go away. Jesus comes back to find him and he says this in verse uh, 14 to this man. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. <laughs> this isn't the stay-at-home dad who makes us lemon bars on the weekend type of Jesus we'd hoped he'd be. Like, Jesus is aggressive. Like, even to the point he threatens him. Like, something worse may happen to you? Worse than what? And we actually don't know what this man did. We never find out what sin this man did. But whatever it was, Jesus knew it was preventing him from getting well. And I think Jesus was upset with him because he knew what he was about to go through on that cross. And because he didn't come to die so that we can sit in relatability, he came to die so that we could have victory. Amen. And as believers, we should consider ourselves like Paul. And we are the strong, so we have the power of Christ within us. So why aren't we helping people? And honestly, victory might not be on this side of heaven. And, but ultimately, because Jesus died for you and he died for me, we can have victory in spite of them. But it's time to start inching our way closer to victory. And it's time to start asking the question, do I want to get well or do I want to lay by the poolside? Do I want to get well or do I want to keep posting my trials on social media? Before you stone me. Please know there's nothing wrong with posting your trials in need of a rallying community. I'm talking about those of us who might be like this man, and Jesus has maybe become unimpressed with the conditions of our hearts. Because how can we help anybody else if we won't even help ourselves? And how can we live, how can we be the strong but, li but living like the weak? Because the power of Christ and the glory of God will, will be revealed to us and it will heal us and it is the cure for our disease when we want to get well. Well, the final reason we should care about God's glory is this. It reveals our path. 
We just got done talking about trials and adversity, and there's a couple of incredible men in the Bible who face severe adversity. Maybe some of you are familiar with the story of Daniel. If you don't know, Daniel was a bold man who was respected by authorities. He was given the ability to interpret dreams by God. He was uh, successful in the government. However, Daniel would be betrayed. He would be arrested, imprisoned. He would be forgotten by future uh, governments, despite his track record. He was eventually thrown in a lion's den where God would rescue him. Throughout Daniel's life, he had to be exhausted and leery of what might be coming next. Maybe some of you are aware of, this, of the story of Job. Job had everything. He had a large family. He had uh, abundance of wealth. He had an uh, abundance of blessings. And people, some people say that he might have been the wealthiest man uh, on the earth at that time. Daniel actually sacrificed burnt offerings every morning on behalf of his children, just in case they cursed God in their heart the night before. That's what a good father and godly man Job was. Well, Job would lose everything. And one day, he would lose all of his livelihood and his income. 11,000 animals and all of his employees would be burned and killed. He would be struck with a terrible disease all over his body. All of his 10 children were all in a house eating. And the house would collapse in on them, killing them all at the same time. Job's wife and his friends would come to him during all of this and say, just curse God and die. Nobody lost more than Job. Well, I'm the worship pastor here, so it's fitting for me to show you this next video. It combines a little bit of music theory and theology to it. Charles David Denler is a composer and professor. He put this beautiful lesson together talking about both music and life. Check it out. If I were to play a single note without any musical context, we would know very little we wouldn't know what key we're in, we wouldn't know anything about the melody. But then if I add context, suddenly I know a lot more about this note. Right now I know that this note is the seventh scale degree, otherwise known as the leading tone. The leading tone is the most powerful note in the modern scale. The leading tone is what makes up the two greatest chords in modern music, the five to one. Those two chords are used in almost every single pop song ever written, every single classical song ever written. Why are they so popular? Because of one single note, the leading tone. The leading tone has a strong desire to return to the tonic. It wants to resolve like this. But I often wonder if it's most beautiful when it's left unresolved, when it's left as a question. We could think of music as periods and question marks and, well, the leading tone is a question mark. We prefer to have resolution. Most of us in our lives, we would rather have fewer question marks and more periods. Leading tones are question marks. And our lives are filled with them. The loss of a loved one, losing a job, 
relationship ending, question marks, leading tones. Can we live with questions? Can there be mystery in our lives? What if the unresolved could actually be something beautiful? What if the unresolved could be something wonderful? Are we stronger because of our leading tones? I've often wondered if the first leading tone was introduced when Adam and Eve in the garden made a very, very bad decision. They were asked to leave their home. And because of this, I wonder if we've been longing for home ever since then. Leading tones, they give us a sense of home. They help us understand where the path leads. Without them, there would be no longing. Music would be boring and simple. Life would be left without mystery. They keep us on the path. I like to think they point toward heaven. Perhaps the leading tone is the most beautiful note of all. Can we live with questions in our lives? And some of you may be here and you haven't given your heart to Jesus or you're having a hard time trusting him until he starts answering some questions. And I think Daniel had many questions. But here's the thing. Daniel actually never complained. He never whined. I would have. He didn't. He always prayed and he trusted and he humbled himself before God. He always did what was right and he never wavered despite the consequences or how he felt. And God would actually send him two different angels with this message. You are so precious to me. From the moment you prayed and humbled yourself before me, a command was given and your request has been heard. So stand up, be encouraged, and don't be afraid. I need to be more like Daniel. But I end up just like Job, who Job openly questioned God. He said, I don't get it, God. I had everything and now I have nothing. And why am I your target? And why am I even born? And do you even know what I'm going through? And God responds with, how dare you question me? How dare you come at me with your ignorant words? How dare you accuse me of not knowing what you're going through? Do you know where the light and the dark resides and where to put them back? And where were you when the foundations of the earth were created? Oh, that's right, you didn't exist because I created you. And we're like, like how do we even process this? I mean, the humanness in me is confused and the Christian in me is scared and the American in me is offended. 
Look, God does not operate in our realm of glory. And he doesn't disclose everything no matter how painful withholding that information may be. And some of you are hoping for some questions answered by God, but let me remind you that if God placed himself on the same level as us, he wouldn't be much of a God. And why would I give my life and trust my life to someone who's only as intelligent as a flawed human being like myself? Now, trust me, I I mean, I want more answers than questions, but let me pose a question to you. Maybe the questions are the answers. And I mean, if you're a parent or you're a guardian, you don't tell your kids every detail about your finances or about your divorce or about your illness because you know their little minds aren't even developed enough to process that. And then if you ask them to carry that burden, you could potentially crush them or potentially scar them mentally. And I feel like God treats us the same way. He doesn't tell us everything because he knows we're not built to handle everything. And then if we knew the truth, it could crush us. And he doesn't want that for us. And I feel like God is saying to us, like we say to our kids, I know you don't understand and I'm sorry. Please trust me. I love you. I have a plan for you. Please just do as I ask. But that is, that is so hard to do as an adult still. And I think God was upset with Job, not because of his questions, he can handle our questions, but because he was so valuable to him. He knew that what Job was about to overcome in his trials would be told through time. And that Job's story would be told through centuries and countries and in rooms like this one today. And he wasn't going to let him ruin it because he didn't have all the answers. He knew Job couldn't handle the why. He just asked that he trust him and not disconnect from him. And have you ever thought that maybe the questions are what lights the path towards heaven? And that maybe some of your questions will not be answered until after we die. But the questions are the answers that lead a path and they illuminate the path towards home. They are like God's way of saying to us, you are so precious to me. From the moment you prayed and humbled yourself before me, command was given and your request has been heard. So stand up, be encouraged, and don't be afraid. Lean on me, not on your doubts. You're on the right path. Don't leave it. Let me leave you with this. The way we handle uncertainty is together. Job and Daniel didn't have the church like we have it today. And God would brightly illuminate the path by sending his son Jesus to die for you and for me and shine a floodlight for us to follow. And when we give Jesus the glory, he will unite us despite our trials and despite our questions. Because ultimately, we need his church. There's a reason he says the gates of hell will not stand against it. We need each other. I need you, church. Despite my flaws and because of my flaws, I need you. I can't do this life alone and neither can you. So let's look in his word. Let's walk this life together until he takes us home, until he comes back again. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus and given your heart or you have questions of how to do that, there's always an opportunity to ask and to do that because you're always welcome in the family of God, especially here at Element. Paul concludes in verses five and six this. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.
Look, we're not all gonna have the answers, I'm sorry. But if we serve each other and we seek him above ourselves, he will reveal our path and he will give us patience and encouragement. And together we can join with one voice and give glory and praise to God. And we will care greatly about his glory because we will humble ourselves before him and he will then be willing to reveal it to us.